and welcome once again to EWTN's Bookmark. This is a special program with our good friend Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, author of a book entitled Building a Civilization of Love, a Catholic Response to Racism, published by our friends at Ignatius Press and naturally available through the EWTN Religious Catalog, EWTNRC.com for all things Catholic. Oh, always a lot of energy when you're here at EWTN, whether it's at the Family Celebration or one of the nine series you've done or the book you did on Augustine Tolton that we were proudly uh, able to publish, and that was great. And this particular book, uh, Building a Civilization of Love, but a Catholic Response to Racism, why did you think this was the time for this kind of book? Well, I wrote the book during the pandemic, and uh, during that time I actually wrote two books. There were two things on my heart, and I couldn't travel, so I wanted to write about the diaconate because I was coming up on my 20th mm -hmm. anniversary of ordination. Uh, so I did that, and then I wanted to address the race issue with everything going on in the country at that time, and, and mm -hmm. you know George Floyd and all of that, and and really not seeing uh, much dialogue, a lot of uh, polemics and triumphalism and mm -hmm. anger and tension and and conflict, uh, but not real discussion, right. Right. not people sitting down and say, okay, let's let's take a serious look at this, um, and so that that's what I right. did. Right. In the introduction, you, you have a quote from Pope. Pope John Paul II's letter to family starts off, there is no true love without an awareness that God is love. And you say that that really inspired the book, not as a secular or worldly response to this, but as a Catholic response, firmly rooted in the scriptures. And you say the initial chapter as you lay out the book sets the stage first for what follows. In it, I'll define racism and make a clear distinction between racism and prejudice. That's an important distinction because it seems like it gets melded together, but there is a difference, right? Yes, exactly. And so, yes, the, the, the quote, the, the name of the book mm. was inspired by John Paul II, uh, the great saint who was a hero of mine. Right. You know, uh, he really helped to, to, for me to discover the why of my faith. Mm -hmm. And so in, in thinking about this and, and reflecting on my relationship with John Paul II, um, I, I thought it was important to first start out with distinctions mm -hmm. because uh, definitions, words have become conflated. So when you say something, that's racist, that's racist, that's racist. Well, no, hold on. We have to make a distinction between prejudice and racism. So uh, prejudice is, uh, is making a, uh, a preconceived notion about someone without any uh, subjective knowledge or objective experience. Mm -hmm. And racism is prejudice with the added piece. The reason why I think or believe this is I believe that my race is superior to right. your race. That's okay. racism. Mm -hmm. And the classic example I give in the book is from a parish mission when uh, right. someone came up to me and said, uh, oh, you went to Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. What position did you play? Right. right. So people would hear a comment like that. Oh, my goodness, that's so racist. Well, no, it wasn't racist. It was prejudice, but it right. wasn't racist. Now, why? In order for that statement to be racist, he would have to have meant when he said it, the reason why I just made that statement to you is I believe that people of color like yourself are not intelligent enough to get into a university of that academic caliber, and the only way that you can go to a school like that is with athletics. Right. That's racist. Right. But when he found out that I had an academic scholarship that I never played football, then he was like, oh, I'm sorry, right? right, right. So he backtracked because he just looked at me and made a statement based on uh, a subjective judgment, right? You see, and, and so we base all those kinds of judgments, like you know, where you live in the country. Like for example, when I first started traveling, going to the South, I thought everybody liked shrimp and grits. Right. <laughs> of right. course, you're from the South, oh, right, right. and some people don't like because that was a prejudiced way of thinking. So we have to make those distinctions uh, so that we can begin to open 
a, a, a true door to dialogue and discussion. Now you talk about something called emotional racism. It posits that every negative interaction or misunderstanding between people of different colors can be blamed on racism. That's kind of what you're relating to there? Yes, okay. exactly, yeah. So, so if, you have, if you say something to someone, and it may be said because the person's ignorant. Mm -hmm. You know, they've never been around a person of that race before, or, or everything they know about that person is what they saw from television, television or movies. Right, right, right. And so there's, they're honestly just saying, hey, uh, you know, and they say something w without malice, without any hardness of heart, they're just ignorant. And they say, well, that's racist. That's a, as we get this emotional reaction, mm -hmm. we should be thinking, you know, um, wow, that, that's very interesting comment. What, what, what made you say that? Right. And start a discussion. You see, and that's how we, and you talked, alluded to this before right. about solutions. You know, we've tried to do this from a sociological standpoint or a governmental standpoint. They keep talking about reparations. They keep talking about, you know, all these things. And the problem's still here. Right. You know, Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ came to save individuals, right? Not institutions. And that is really the heart of what I'm talking about. How, in order to really ameliorate this problem, we have to start with people. Right. You say in the, in the second chapter, I'll examine the church's historical response to racism, particularly the attitudes and practices of the Catholic Church in the United States, and provide evidence of magisterial teaching in the form of papal and conciliar pronouncements. And what you demonstrate is that, in many ways, is that obviously the church has an official position uh, that would be negative towards slavery, but in effect, there was slavery. And you also talk about the distinction between kind of the way slavery was seen over the years in the medieval times, even from the Roman times forward, to, uh, to what was happening in the States with what you call chattel slavery. Yes. What's the yes. distinction there? Okay. So uh, in, in order to, real, to have real discussion, you have to have honesty. Right. You have to have openness. And so I had to show in there that in the church in the United States, there were priests, bishops, religious orders that owned and sold slaves. Right, right. Georgetown's a good example. Right. Remember, the one nun was doing research, found this out, and you know, and again, what did Georgetown do? They offered free tuition to the, the ancestors, the descendants of the people who they right. were enslaved by the Jesuits. Um, and so, but I also have to show that the church, through the teachings of the popes and the magisterium, had outrightly condemned slavery from the start. Mm -hmm. And what happened was it was ignored by the hierarchy in the United States. Well, that's Europe. They don't understand what's going on here. They don't really understand us. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so in doing that, I also had to show uh, the different, there's uh, six different types of slavery that's talked about in, in, in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. For example, so people say, well, Saint, the Catholic Church endorsed slavery. Look at St. Paul. Right. St. Paul says you have to be, your slaves have to obey and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and that's how, and, and quite frankly, that's how some slave owners justify Right, absolutely. They with their slaves, like, look, look what it says in the right Bible. Right in Scripture, right. But, yeah. Paul is not talking about chattel slavery. How do we know? Mm -hmm. uh, I show clearly that when it comes to chattel slavery, the Lord God is very clear. You shall not enslave anyone the way you were, because you were once slaves yourselves in Egypt. So that was strictly forbidden by God right from the start. So, but, but again, uh, the Hebrew language is so rich. It's a very mm -hmm. visual language. And so one word can be many things. So when they talk about slavery, they also mean indentured servitude. So for example, right. you have four children, you have a fifth child. You can't afford to feed that child. And so you give that child in the service to another family. Um, and now remember, that was only for seven years mm -hmm. because the jubil every, every jubilee year, this, all right. the slaves were released. Right. At that time, that person could become a member of that family. Mm -hmm. They had rights. 
So there were rules of how you govern, quote unquote, slaves. It's really indentured servitudes. Right, right. What else do they consider slavery? You commit a crime. And you have to pay for that crime. You know how we have people out on the highways picking up garbage, the guys in the yellow right, uh, right. orange jumpsuits? Yeah. They, could, that, they, also, they also call that slavery. See, so, so when you talk about slavery, you, you have to see that right. the, the, the Bible opens Defining up slavery to terms, a whole exact. Right. You have to look right. at the context for understanding what Paul is talking about right. there. The other thing you mentioned, because you do spend some time on the Old Testament and then the New Testament, one of the things that struck me was bringing out the fact that Israel was the chosen race. So somebody would say, well, was God racist? He, why, did, why was this race more important than any other race? Yeah, so what God did, which makes a lot of sense, um, you have all these different pagan cultures, and he chose this particular people, not because he thought they were better than anybody else, but he chose them because they were going to be the signs and witnesses to the other cultures around them, right? So, so think about it. If I'm going to show people that I'm Christian, mm -hmm. I have to live my, my Christian faith. I mean, I could talk about being Catholic, what it means to be Catholic, you know, until the cows come home. Right. But unless I witness to that faith, I show that faith, you know, then that's how people start to say, wait a minute, what is it about that guy, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what the people of Israel was supposed to be for God. They're supposed to be witnesses of the examples of the other cultures around them right. uh, to, 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 to draw them closer to God. Now, you, you elsewhere, later on in that, after talking about, obviously, the issues in the United States, you make the point that the slave trade commonly refers to the transatlantic slave trade, which was between Africa, America, and, and the Caribbean, and then to yes. South America, where actually South America was the vast majority actually went. Slavery, however, you said, existed on the continent of Africa long before European involvement and is one of the number of factors that contributed to slavery becoming transcontinental. You go on in a quote here, uh, African group uh, regularly enslaved captives from one another group. And that was kind of the way, and not to, ex you, know, you know, make excuses for it, whether it was in Africa or in Asia or in any place else, it was typical of one tribe or another, wherever they were, in conquering another tribe was to enslave those people. That's exactly right. right. And then so, so basically when the Europeans came, it was just a way of uh, uh, getting rid of their enemies. Right. You know, by, by, by selling them in, in, to the And uh, trading goods and trading that they them. couldn't get. Exactly. Exactly right. 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 That would give them an upper hand against their other enemies. Right. You, you talk about slavery lasted more than 13th century, began in the early 7th century, continued in one form or another until the 1960s. This is talking about the Arab slave trade, mm -hmm. uh, which we don't hear a lot about. And it's, you, the Arab slave trade was, was characterized by appalling violence, castration, and rape. The men were systematically castrated to prevent them from reproducing and becoming a stock. And that's one of the reasons why you don't see the evidence of it isn't as clear as it is here, obviously, in the West. Yes, exactly. And that's why, see, that's why these things need to be brought out, mm -hmm. right? Because everyone wants to point fingers, but you have to look at the broader context of what was going on in other parts of the world as well. Right. You know, and th that's all I'm trying to do in that section, yes. Right. You say, what we have seen and heard introduced, this is a particular document mm -hmm. uh, that the bishop put together, the church in the United States, openness to black spirituality comprised of four constitutive characteristics. It is contemplative, holistic, joyful, and communitarian. Where did they come up with those four, and do you think that's actually reflective? Yeah, so uh, that, that is the spirituality of, of African spiritual culture, mm -hmm. right? A pre-Christian. Mm -hmm. so, so those uh, characteristics were uh, woven into the fabric mm -hmm. of, the, of the African uh, uh, individual. 
right? And, and so uh, when they came over uh, to do in the slave trade, you know, they tried to keep those values, mm -hmm. right? So for example, so uh, when the Emancipation Proclamation and, 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 and Juneteenth, uh, when the mm -hmm. slaves, the first thing they did was try to find the members of the family that were sold uh. and when they were separated and tried, because they had that, you know, we have to bring the family together again. Mm -hmm. And and what I, what I say in the book is, uh, sadly, is that I think, for us in the, uh, the the black community, people of color have lost some of those values mm -hmm. um, that were brought here uh, to to the culture. We acquiesced too much to the culture, right. and in a sense, we've lost ourselves. Right, and when we and we're especially living in a, in a very anti-family culture across the board right now. Yes, where the state wants to basically replace the nuclear family and have everybody dependent upon them. Yeah, rather and, than and, being and, the family unit. And that's exactly why I brought that in, right. to show that these are the, so it's not enough to name our kids African names and put, and put, wear, put them in African clothes. We have to live the values hmm. now connected with the Christianity, because you don't sacrifice those values, but we see those values lived out right. in our Catholic faith and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Right, chapter three, critical race theory. Uh, you say, although critical race theory includes the word theory, it is more than an explanatory account of the phenomenon of race and racism. You say the origins of critical race theory can be traced back to the critical legal studies, CLS movement, which in turn finds its origin in Marxist-influenced critical theory. So how does that impact it? Yeah, so so critical race theory comes from critical legal theory mm. of the 1970s, comes from critical theory to the 1920s, which goes to, to uh, Marxist materialism, right. which goes to the um, Hegelian dialectic, right, right? right? And so, so, uh, so you go back to Hegelian dialectic, there's a thesis, there's a, a, a countering antithesis, and the tension, conflict, and struggle mm. between thesis and antithesis leads to a new synthesis, right? So Marx took that, which was mostly found in the areas of, of hard sciences right. and put it in the realm of social science, right. along with Freud, actually. Right. Um, and, and this is before, actually, communism as we, as, and socialism as you understand it today with, with Engels. Right. So, so, uh, so he and Freud tried to take this, this thing, t tension, conflict, and struggle leads to new synthesis. But that's the hermeneutic that runs all the way to critical race theory today. Mm -hmm. It, the whole thing in order to make change is tension, conflict, and struggle. Right. That's not the gospel. Right. <laughs> and that's my whole point. That's not the gospel. And so, uh, critical race theory, and again, I, the book is not about critical race theory, right. but I had to address it. It's one of those. Doug, you talk about three theolo uh, theories you really, ideologies yeah, you want to take on. Because really. people are trying to say, to bring them into right. discussion at Catholic faith. So we as Catholics need to incorporate these things if we're gonna deal with the issue of racism. So I, I want to be objective. Right. I said, you know what? People are talking about these things. Let, let me just take a look. Right. I, I don't wanna hear what this person says or that person. I wanna read for myself. So I bought the books. Right. Derek Bell, Richard Delgado, Janice Stefanik, Kimberly, Kimberly Crenshaw, the kind of the founders of, right. and I read the books and I said, okay, is there something here that we as Catholics can use? to really ameliorate this, this racial issue? Right. And the answer is no. No, right? The answer is no. Well, you make the point in, in CRT, tenant number one is that racism is ordinary and not aberrational. And that's what's reflective in the, no matter what happens, it's racist. Well, and it's, it's a contradiction of the Catholic understanding of original sin and natural law. Which is my whole well, point. Well, they don't believe in original sin. See, they believe it, in structural sin. Exactly. Right, and right. Again, Jesus didn't came to save structures. He came to save people. Right, right. And that's what we have to start with. We, right. The more we get away from the person. And look, at, look at what's happening now with AI. Mm -hmm. Where, I haven't seen AI sermons 
Mm-hmm. People giving uh, digital things, giving sermons and homies, people don't have to go to a, to see a real person anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, we're losing this sense of humanity and identity, and and so it was. I thought it was important to look at these tenets of critical race theory, and juxtapose them to to a proper proper Catholic understanding, to, and so we can see. So then it goes, so they're going to attack me and say, "Well, Deacon, you said this. Well, wait a minute. Here's what they say. Here's what the Catholic Church teaches. You tell me whether this makes sense in our faith or not. And it just it just doesn't work." Right, and, and, and you have something called ordinarius, I think, or maybe I mispronounced, assumes that everyone who is not a person of color is racist and the implementation of racist systems and structures within society is just business as usual. Yeah, so this idea of ordinariness uh, is another tenet of critical race theory. Um, again, and I, I had to make a distinction between institutional racism, racism and people in institutions who are racist, right? So for right. example, the Catholic Church is racist. No, it's not. It's impossible because it was founded by Jesus Christ. Right. <laughs> so it, it's completely impossible for the church to be racist. However, mm-hmm. there are people in the church right. who are racist. Right. Th- so we have to make those distinctions. Um, same thing with, let's say, the federal government. Right. You know, they have very strict laws now. Uh, you cannot be racist, uh, but there's still people in the government who are racist. So we have, again, right. have to make those distinctions. And what critical race theory does, it fails to make the distinctions and it kind of conflates the individual and the structure, right? Right. And so they start with the structure in order to change people. And I'm saying we need to change people in order to change the structure. Right, and it even becomes where it's, uh, it's a subliminal racism. You don't realize you're racist, but you really are because that's why you're making those decisions. Uh, you also talk about CRT can lead Catholics away from their faith rooted in Christ and centered in the Eucharist and towards theories based on socio-political solipsism. Yeah, so what happens is the faith starts to become politicized mm-hmm. and we start to um, uh, 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 have people f- uh, uh, fight against each other mm-hmm. you know so instead of bringing harmony it brings more division right you know remember tension conflict and, and struggle in order to bring change not dialogue right. not honesty not openness not looking at a person and seeing what God sees when they see them mm-hmm. you know well you're just that color so just, I'm just gonna put you in this box and that's right. where you are right. that's not our Catholic faith right and there's also you talk about intersectionality uh, and that's a word we hear where it almost yeah. seems like it's a competition for who's more diverse. And, and this is about <laughs> identity. Right. So your identity is the fact that you're, you're intersectional. That means you're, you, you could, you could, I could look, me, as, 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 as a black Catholic deacon, well, I, I can identify as a white, Chinese, bisexual uh, Democrat. Mm-hmm. And that's my identity. My, my whole point is this, no. You, who who you are in relationship with, what political party, what color, what race, that has nothing to do with your identity. As people, as followers of Jesus Christ, I am a son of the living God. I am a brother and follower of Jesus Christ. That is my identity. It's a divine identity. It's not defined by the culture. It's not defined by um, uh, politic, politics or anything. It's defined by a deep intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, you, That's our identity. Well, you say, speaking of our Lord, by CRT standards, Jesus would be labeled closed-minded, bigoted, as well as a hater for disagreeing with personal lifestyle decisions uh, to attempt matrimony with someone of the same sex, because uh, this also leads to this kind of no morality. Everything is autonomous, right? Well, and they try to throw Jesus under the bus. They say, well, Jesus never said that 
you know, uh, two people that are same sex. But well, in, in Matthew 19, he talks about what marriage is. Mm -hmm. Therefore, a man leaves his father and mother cleaves to his wife, right, right. and they become one flesh. No, but when he's talking about divorce there, yes, he's talking about divorce, but he also is saying what marriage is right. by going back and quoting from Genesis 2. Well, he didn't think he'd have to tell people who already understood exactly. what it was in that culture. Liberation theology, how does that fit in? Yeah, so this is another um, ideology that's trying to be brought into the discussion. But again, if you look at the roots of, of liberation, now, when I talk about here, I'm talking about uh, mostly um, Father Gutierrez. Right. Uh, so I'm talking about the kind of the Catholic formulation of right. liberation, not liberation theology as a whole, because mm -hmm. why? The book is not about that. Right. But again, but I had to address it because it's being brought into the discussion. And it's the same kind of socialist Marxist thinking that we have to change institutions and structures, and the church should have a role in that, um, instead of working to change individuals. And again, again, what's, what's the change? Tension, conflict, right. struggle to bring about change. Right, and, and some who've, who've come to their senses have come back and said, we made a mistake. Uh, we put the poor at the center of the church. We need to have Jesus at the center of the church. Yes. A and then out of that comes the care for the poor. Yeah, and, and, and I even heard a quote once that you know the church made an option for the poor and the poor opted for the Protestant church. Right, absolutely, right. You say, by employing Marxist thought with an uncritical eye, liberation theology fails to integrate the personal dimension of sin. We alluded to that earlier. Because mm, right. remember, John Paul II talks about the social dimension of sin and the personal dimension of sin. And, and, but he talks about it within um, understanding both together. It's like it's like the little, little historical understanding of Scripture and the spiritual senses of Scripture. If you divide the two, you're going to get a warped understanding of what God is trying to say in the Word of God. And it's the same thing. If you take the social and you separate it from the personal, you're mm -hmm. not going to get a holistic appreciation, understanding of, of how we can approach this issue of race because you're only looking at one right. side and not the other one. You have to have a balanced approach like John Paul II. Did. And how does that roll into black liberation theology? Yeah, so I wanted, I wanted to address that because often black liberation th theology incorporates liberation theology. So I wanted to be fair in, in, in showing that I, I, I really believe that black theology, um, instead of sometimes it, it, it gets that bad rap, and I show some examples in there right. where it's really kind of anti-church. The classic example is the magisterium is Pharaoh, and the people of God are Israel, and we have to free ourselves from this magisterial authority and separation right. from the church. Um, that's, that's kind of a, um, and one of the ideals of, of black liberation theology, but, but I try to show in there that no, you know, um, th there's some things that particular um, uh, Sean Copeland, um, shows in there who's sometimes not friendly to the church and, mm -hmm. and some of her thinking, but to be honest, there are some things that she brings out in some of her writings right. I think is very helpful right. to the discussion. And, uh, and I, I just want to be fair and balanced and, and, to, right. and to bring that and just out. just because somebody's wrong in general doesn't mean they're not right in specific. Correct, you exactly know, at times, right. And we need to, re, we can't throw the baby out with that and just ignore it. And I, I want to encourage right. black theology to really take a look at how they can really contribute uh, to, to breaking down racial barriers in the church. Another one is Black Lives Matter, the movement, not the concept. Yes. You differentiate those two. I do, because, right. <laughs> again, during the pandemic, uh, I was asked to do a, a radio show in, in Australia, and uh, he said, we want to talk about Black Lives Matter. So the, the, the guy, George Manasseh, made a meme, mm -hmm. and he put it out there, and all of a sudden, people, I was getting hate emails. I was getting, de uh, people were uh, uh, not following me on social mm -hmm. media. I thought you were orthodox, Deacon. How are you talking about black? I said, 
All he said was black, Deacon Howe was going to talk about Black Lives Matter. It didn't say what position I was going to take. Mm -hmm. People just made an assumption, right? right? And so he called me and said, should I take it down? I said, nope, leave it there because now people have to listen to what I have to say. And so there's nothing wrong with the words Black Lives Matter, all right? Um, in fact, I, I, I make the argument in the book mm -hmm. that replacing it with all lives matter, which seems to be, you know, but you got to understand, you're talking about a group of people whose voices have been shut out and not allowed to be heard for, for, for decades, right? right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and so it's, it, I think it's okay to use the, the words Black Lives Matter as a way of, of, of saying, hey, we're here and we want to be listened to, we want right. to be heard, right. you know? But there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is the organization, mm -hmm. it's like a Trojan horse. You know, um, they, they're talking about racism, da, 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 but that's on the outside. But in the inside, it's, it's really, again, and, and I show very clearly right. by their own words and statements, is to destruction of the nuclear family. Family, absolutely. Yeah, it used to be on their website, and then they took it down when people oh, probably but I, noticed but I, it was there. I took a bunch of screenshots, screenshots. before that happened because I knew they were going to do that once people found out what they were really about. And I incorporate the, the actual uh, wording from that right. screenshot. Into One last statement in our closing minute here. Uh, in the Catholic response to racism, you say the crisis of race can partially be attributed to leadership vacuum in society. Yes. Is that for the church as well? Well, quite frankly, yes. I mean, right. Martin Luther King, see, what, what was so great about him? He brought people together. Mm. He brought people together with what? The message of the gospel. And when he was assassinated, there was a, a leadership vacuum, a void, and no one filled it. Right. So now we have individuals, organizations that are trying to fill that void but but not really with the understanding of trying to to, right. to, to to heal racism, but with other agendas, and that's the sad part. So I think we right. as the church can step up and take a lead in this issue. Right. Just before we go, another book in the works? Uh, yes, actually. I'm, I'm working on a, a book right now, um, uh, kind of talking about the invisible worlds, the intersection between the temporal and mm. the transcendent. So, for example, the, 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 the culture is fascinated with superheroes. Right. They don't want to believe in God, but they want to believe in beings with super strength and super abilities. Right. What is that? Right. What is that? Why is that happening? That's what I'm looking at in this book. I think book. there's a vacuum there. So yes. Maybe you're going to fill it. Okay, very good. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, is always great to Thank talk you. to you. His book, Building a Civilization of Love, A Catholic Response to Racism, very insightful, published by Ignatius, available through our EW10 Religious Catalog, EW10RC.com. For all things Catholic, I'm Doug Keck. This has been an EW10 Bookmark Program. We'll see you next time. Thanks. <music>